My Love of Life Energy is a podcast created by Anna Scott. Anna knows that every human being sees life uniquely. In this podcast, she will talk to people and learn from them. These conversations are to shine the brilliance of each human being she speaks to. Join her. After each exploration, you will expand on your insights and see truth and beauty. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to my podcast, My Love of Life Energy. And today I'm doing another interview in my series of the story of the muses. And today I have with me Vanessa Poster, who is one of the writers. And so welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Now, when I, the little I know about you is that you are already a writer, correct? You are yes. even teach writing. Is that yes. correct? I do. Yes. Um, I have been taking method writing with Jack Grapes uh, since 1997. Wow. Yes. So I have done muses, I think, three times total. Um the first two with Jack and then the last one with Jules. And it's completely different for me every time. So oh, really, how did it yeah. show up for you in this time? I'm so curious. Um, I think because, I mean, Jack invented all the method writing stuff. So he kind of has his way of teaching it. And I, I remember I think when I started Muses with Jules, I said, is there a chapter in the book or was there some handout or something? And she's like, no, he says, go over to the shelf. There's a thing over there. Go find that and see what that has to say. And so it's, it's, um, it felt more structured with Jules. Like I knew what I was doing with each muse in a, in a stronger way Um, and how to access those energies and how to, write from an energy as opposed to writing uh, an image moment or writing a certain voice. So it's one of the things I love about method writing and this approach to writing is that it helps you to define your own voice, but then helps you to modulate it in different ways so that you can access different things. So That's interesting. So say more about that. That's fascinating. Like the modulation. Um, yeah, so I think what what I do, I you said you mentioned that I'm a writing teacher. So my the way I teach is completely different. <laughs> I I don't teach method writing, or although I do use some of the method writing tools. Um, my students come at writing um, from a place of healing. I see mm-hmm. writing as one of the one of the modalities that can help people to heal grief and loss. Um, I lost my husband in 2015. He had a nine-month um, battle with cancer. And um, I found that writing really helped me to process those feelings. So you can talk to a therapist. You can go to a support group. You can talk to friends. You can be active. You can do all sorts of things to deal with grief. And writing is another way to deal with it. Um, so when I'm working with my students, I'm helping them to find their own voice and to work from that place of expressing their stories. And sometimes with grief, it's about telling the same story over and over and over and over again in different ways to process it. Method writing, coming at it through the ways that um, Jack and Jules teach it, um, 
is a way of refining that skill even more. So once you've found your own voice, found your deep voice, and you want to write things um, that have the, the different um, energies and the different um, ways of accessing emotions and accessing images and accessing feelings, it's, about, it's more about the craft and refining the craft so that you can use the voice you want to to express the thing you want to express so that you're not always just telling a story anymore. And I think that's what's really cool about this book, Stories from the Muses, um, is how different everybody's pieces are and that it's, it's a personal retelling or it's a mythological story that helps to understand the universe in a different way. It can be all sorts of different things and having those different voices, having those different energies helps to do that in a, in a more variety, in a way that is full of more variety. I'm so curious why, if you'd already written, like I, I can imagine somebody listening to this going, well, you've already done it twice, writing and uses. Why, why did you want to go do it again? Because it's always different. You know, you don't know, and, and your life experience changes. Um, one of the things that um, Jack used to say is, you know, you have those times when you're writing and writing and writing, and then you have other times where you're just living and living and living, and you're not writing. Um, and then you have to, when you write, you, you have so much more product. You have so much more to work from. And I, having gone through all these different experiences, loving and losing and loving again, um, I'm a different person than I was the first two times that I went through it. Um, I, I love um, when you, I don't know where I, I guess I read it on your bio or something like that. And there's something magical about what you just said, to love, to loss, and to love again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I, I kind of, I always, I've always in my life seen myself as a role model for people. Um, how can I be a role model? What can I do that helps people to live a better life by living it, by being an example of it? And um, when Johnny and I got married in 2020 on Zoom, um, he also lost a spouse to cancer. So for both of us, it was about not just expressing our love and making a lifetime commitment, but giving people hope, especially in the midst of the pandemic in 2020, when before we had vaccines, when we were still on lockdown and we couldn't gather to have a ceremony, to have a ceremony that wasn't just about us, but also about our dead spouses and bringing those people into our reality now and how much they are a part of who we are as a way to give people hope because so many people are suffering so many different kinds of losses through the last couple of years, not just death, not just losing a spouse or losing a child or losing a parent, but losing freedoms and losing community and losing all of the things that we've lost and are trying to regain in different safe ways um, that you can find something redeeming in that and honoring that in the process. Mm. That You know, it's radical what you just said and did. I mean, <laughs> um, 
of including the spouses in your marriage ceremony. I mean, it just, it seems to me the under, you have like a true understanding of love. Yes. Yeah. Is that, how do you understand love? Um, <laughs> my late husband um, was married before we married and they were together for 23 years and they had a polyamorous relationship where they were involved with other people. And when I found out about this, we were first dating. I think it was like our fifth date or something. I said to him, you know, I'm not into that. I'm a monogamous person. And he said, that's okay. I'm older now. <laughs> and <laughs> so we, we, we had the, we had the talk. We understood what we wanted from each other, but what I learned from his perspective on all of that was that love, um, it, it doesn't have to just be a relationship between two people, that there's other ways to love and that you can love more than one person at a time. And that, that just, I have a line from a poem that I actually had to take out of the poem eventually. It was that Morgan would say, um, all the love would ocean, that the, oh. all of the love is ex as expansive as the ocean. Um, it, it didn't end up fitting in that final poem. It's not a piece that's in here, but it was about how he thought about love and how loving these two different men is, is so different. They're just completely, completely different men. And just how not denying that makes my life bigger, makes my love bigger. We don't have to be, I mean, why, what's the point of being jealous of somebody who's dead? I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's like, there, there's no point in that. It, he can still love her, even though she's gone. He has a child with her. That child is part of our lives. Um, the, you don't want to deny these past loves and and even if the people are still alive if if your commitment is clear with what your commitment is made of then what does it matter who else is out there experiencing that love all the love could ocean it's just it could i love that line i'm gonna have to put it in another poem because i i you know, i, I I had an editor once who said, sometimes you have to throw out your, your babies. Sometimes you have to like find the, the, even the lines you love don't fit in the final poem and you have to throw them out. But I kind of keep them somewhere just in case I want to bring them back. So I'm going to bring I, them back. I mean, that could be the name of the poem. Yeah. I mean, because you do, you're understanding there's a generosity of spirit. There's such a beauty yeah. in that ceremony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what we did... Um, I, kind of, I want to look for that poem, but I don't want to distract myself from talking to you. So I'm not going to do that right now. Um, what we did was um, in the ceremony when I married Morgan, um, we had a, a silk bag that we used. We, it was a Jewish ceremony. You smash the glass. Yeah. So um, we had the silk bag that we used to smash the glass in so that we kept all the pieces of the glass. And when Johnny smashed the glass at our ceremony, we used the same silk bag to smash the oh, glass. Wow. And the, the person who was conducting the ceremony talked about why we were including this and what it meant to us. And then the other thing that we used from Lori, his late wife, um, the, 
the talit that she had given him as their her wedding present to him when they got married. So we use the talit as the canopy oh. to create the canopy. <laughs> so we had them both included in the ceremony. And there's I still have some friends when they they talk to me about oh your wedding it was so beautiful they start crying because it meant it meant so much to them to see that and to hear that. And I want I want women especially that Morgan and I used to teach classes on how to find love because you didn't we did <laughs> because we did it so well and we were we were talking at a conference once each of us were talking about different things at this conference and somebody came up to us afterwards and said your relationship is so awesome you should teach this to people and we were like okay how would we do that so we put together this class on how to find love and we taught it together and i thought it was so powerful <sighs> for people to hear from a male perspective the kinds of things that women don't get to hear men say often enough and we would help women overcome their limiting beliefs and to be their full selves so that when they so that they would have an attitude that would help them to see the good men that are around them and so as now i've i've lost him um, I've still taught the class without him, although it's different. Not I just have to channel him, what he would say in a moment instead of having his male voice there to actually say it. Um, but I want women to not give up on love if they've lost love. Because we deserve to be loved. Oh, oh my God. I just, I, I just, I feel like I should bow to you or something. There's something. <laughs> oh, <don't do> that. <laughs> But there's something, I, I, I just, um, I have a, a similar story to yours. Yeah, I, I, I saw that in the, in the book. And, um, but it's so, um, what you're speaking of and, and serving to is the truth of life. You know, that we women are supposed to be adored. It's never too late. Yeah. And I, I love what you said. Like, there are so many good men around. Yeah. And when you, when you focus on the negative, you see the negative. Mm -hmm. And I, when I teach the class, I use that video, the, um, the gorilla and the people. What's that one? Okay. So people are, are um, they're throwing a ball around. There's people in the red shirts and there's people in the blue shirts. And the narrator says, I'd like you to count the number of times somebody with a red shirt passes the ball to the to somebody. Oh. And so you're watching this video and you're watching and you're counting, okay, one, two, three, four. And while this is happening, you don't realize it the first time you watch it, there's a gorilla walking through. Yeah. But you're focusing on the ball, you're focusing on the colors, you're focusing on other things. And the gorilla walks through the scene. You don't see it because you're not focusing on it. So when you can start focusing on the good men who are all around you, you can see them. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm just so curious. Why do you, is it a defense mechanism or why do you think that women, like, because why do women not see the good men? One of the things that we talked about a lot in our classes is, is limiting beliefs and um, where you start from in terms of your own belief system of what you think is possible and what you think you deserve 
And like we had a woman, I, I will never forget this. Um, we were talking about the concept of limit, limiting beliefs. And as we were going through this in the class, she said, oh my God, my mother, my grandmother told me when I was seven that no man would ever love me. Oh. And she had not remembered that. But when, when Morgan said, you know, what are your limiting beliefs? Why, why do you feel you don't deserve to be loved? And we were talking all about it. And then he, he would always ask, and whose voice do you hear saying it to you? And she said, it's my grandmother. My grandmother told me that nobody, no man would ever love me. And once she could name where it came from and, and hear the voice in her head and realize that it was a voice that on some level meant to protect her. All of these limiting beliefs, the negative things that we say to ourselves are meant to protect us from hurt, from pain, from loss, from all of the things that we want to avoid. So once we recognize that and we say, thank you for trying to protect me from being hurt. Maybe her grandmother had very bad relationships with men and didn't want her granddaughter to be hurt by men. Oh. You don't know what the story is, but there's some protection in there. Once you acknowledge that and you show some gratitude for it, then you can start turning it around, replacing it with the positive belief. And then there are tools that we teach about how to, how to do that because I think affirmations, I, I believe, I very much believe in affirmations, but they can get, you can get stuck in them where you get stuck in a little cycle where you say, I am deserving of love. And then the little voice in your head says, no, you're not, you're not. <laughs> and so you end up negating the affirmation at the same time that you're creating it. So that doesn't work. <laughs> so you have to kind of trick your brain into letting go of the negative voices. And he had some really great tools to teach and, and taught me. And he, was, he had this sort of um, otherworldliness about who he was in, in this way that I can believe he is still here with me, even though um, he's not. And Johnny is just solid, earth, right here, real guy, totally different kind of guy. But I can use those things I learned, I can model those things, I can teach them, and I can live it now with somebody who adores me as I deserve to be adored. Mm. God, I, I am so curious, you said earlier, and I can hear it right now, in the role model thing, mm -hmm. I'm not mean. You said I want to be a role model. Or I don't want to be like I am a role model. Yeah, for people. And I'm so curious where you saw that or how you saw it because I just see you, the way that you talk about your husbands, the 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 it, it's with such dignity hmm. and reverence, but there's also an honoring of who you are as the feminine. Mm -hmm. And where did you? How did the role model develop? Where did that, where did you see that? Because it's powerful. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, th I, I think there's just a certain understanding that I've always had that people learn by reading or being taught or the things that we learn, but we learn the best by modeling. 
and and seeing people live the way that we want to live. And my parents didn't have a perfect relationship, um, but they always gave me confidence and love. And I, at this point, when I'm talking about my life, it always comes to, and it's pretty obvious I'm an only child. <laughs> no, you don't I, think so? No, no, I, I wouldn't have guessed that one. Uh-uh. My, I was a very wanted and only child. Um, oh, and you were adored. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And oh, my, my God, I can feel it. My parents always taught me that I could accomplish anything I wanted to accomplish. And one of the things I tried to accomplish in my life and was not able to was becoming a mother. I oh. was not able to get pregnant um, with my first husband. And that was an incredibly painful journey. And I, that's the first time that I took method writing. That was a lot of what I wrote about was um, that experience and that clinical depression that not that going through that process um, sent me to. Um, and I learned I couldn't actually accomplish everything I wanted to because it was physically impossible. But then in going through that process, I realized, well, thousands and thousands and thousands of women are going through the same process. And I want to talk about this. I want women to hear my experiences. I want to share this. So I um, put together a panel at a conference and I wrote about it and I talked about it and brought out that topic for people to to be able to address it without shame. Oh. I think sharing, sharing our life experiences, and, and that, I guess that's part of the role modeling is when, when we can talk about things and let go of the shame, we all grow because we can share those experiences. And that's a lot of what happens in my writing classes with the grief is that people people don't know how to write about grief. They don't know how to write about their own grief or how to express it. And then they, they get in this group of people who are supportive and loving and caring and all have gone through it. And then you write something about your grief and describe it in a certain way. And then somebody else is just connects to that, listens to that, witnesses that, and, and it helps them to express their feelings and their understanding because they've heard somebody else do it. And I'll have to think about where it might have come from. I don't really know, but it is something that's really important to me about who I am in the world and that I I live the things I teach. I don't just teach them because there, um, yeah, Sid Banks would say, look for a teacher who embodies what they teach. Yeah. And when we when we started teaching the class about how to find love and we, I would look online like who else is doing this and what are they doing? Anybody who wasn't actually in a loving relationship, I felt like, well, how can you teach people how to find love? You're, you're not living that. Yeah. And, and being coming from that place of uh, modeling it as we taught it. And then, okay, we're telling people they need to communicate. They need to ask for what they want. Well, are we doing that? <laughs> did we do that? <laughs> is, is that what we did today? Is that, or, is that, or did we not do what we were teaching? And, and so it kind of, 
it comes back and, and improves our own life because, well, okay, we, we do have to model this. So how do we, how can we bring that back in? We forgot to do that today. <laughs> Let's make sure that we talk about these things. It seems to me that you're, um, and I think this is why you would be a great teacher, is that you're on a constant exploration of opening. Anybody who takes this many years of method writing and finds themselves, you're on a constant exploration. Because it's always changing. Like I I said that before, it's like the story is always changing. The life experience is always changing. So the writing changes with it. I, I found in the years when I first met and married Morgan, I was so happy I wasn't writing. There was, I, I write, I have often written from the pain, the pain of, of infertility, the pain of divorce. Um, and then I found him and I was so happy. And I didn't write for a number of years at all. Maybe some journaling, but not really any, anything serious. And then he died. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm sad again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went back to it. And so I, that's why I think I, I really believe in writing as a healing process. Um, oh yeah I, I've seen that I've seen that as I've been writing I write something that just takes me to my knees that I didn't know and that's that's one of the amazing things about method writing and the the transformation line concept of well how do you go deeper how do you go deeper how do you take this statement about something that is true mm-hmm. about yourself and really go deeper and deeper and and with my advanced students, when I do go into the image writing, image moment stuff and using the, the transformation line, and I'll be working with them one-on-one and I'll say, this line right here, there's something underneath that line. What is it? What are you really writing about here? What is this? How does this tell the story of your life? How is this a truth for you? It has nothing to do with, with the piece that you were writing. This line right here has something else in it. And I'll help them to go deeper into it and then they'll crack open and they'll be, and then they'll start writing about something completely different. And, uh, and a lot of times I I will make a big deal in my classes. I'm not a therapist. It feels like therapy sometimes, but I'm not a therapist. I'm a writing teacher. So I actually feel a little bit of glee when I get people to that place of like cracking open. And I will always apologize. I'm so sorry, but this is this is good material here. We have to go here. I know it hurts. And I want you to talk to your therapist about it a little bit more. But right now, we're going to dig a little deeper into the writing. Because it's going to be awesome when you can express this place where we're going. And I have some students who they, they just eat it up. They were like, yes, crack me open a little bit more because I, I want to go there. I, I want to know what it is that's been driving this truth about who I am and, and why I do these things. And it's like a, you know, a little chisel and you kind of get in there and then, and it's awesome. I, I can feel they're lucky because you can hold the space for them. And that's the gift. You've done your Holding work. that space. I, I remember when I first started teaching and in my classes, in, in Jules' class, we bring something to share and read. In my classes, we write. We take 20 minutes and we write. And then we share what we've written, that shitty first draft, as Annie Lamont talks about. You know, you just got to get it out. It's the shitty first draft. It's really everybody's writing a shitty first draft. It's okay. 
and then we share it. And holding the space while other people are writing is such a sacred experience. Yeah. It is equivalent to praying together in a in church or in temple that feeling of everybody is doing something internal but at the same time in a space and i i can't write while they're writing because my work is about holding the space yeah and i am holding that space for them and it I get a lot out of that. It's yeah. very rewarding. It's, it feeds me in a really amazing way to be able to see it happening for them. Yeah, and then yeah. amazing things happen. Like somebody will write about, um, my, my brain just went blank, but somebody will write about uh, an orange tree or something. And everybody, it'll come up in like five pieces. It's like nobody said anything in the, when we were talking before class or we'll, nobody said anything about whatever it was, a playground at school and, and five pieces will have a playground in it. And it's like, there's this, this porous mind thing that happens when you create that space for people. And even on Zoom, it's so awesome that it can happen in the little squares as well as it happened in the live classroom before March 2020, when I was meeting with people live, and now I'm doing it online, and I have people from El Salvador and, and New York and Washington and New Mexico. Wonderful. Well, we are coming to the end of this, and oh. whoever gets to sit with you is lucky. So, Vanessa, how do they find you? And it will be in the link, but I want to make sure that people have the opportunity to come and be held in your space. How do they do that? Um, the best way is to email me. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll have my email, Vanessa at vipconsultingpartners.com, which is a horrible one to write down, but it'll be in there. Just um, copy Great. and paste it. And um, I'm on Facebook, Vanessa Poster. And um, my uh, my website, I haven't had to use my website for this stuff because people keep coming to me yeah. and they find me when they need me. And cool. that's that's the best way because then they need me and, and it adds to the, the, the delicious soup that is that process of writing. Together. Wonderful. Well, it was an honor to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So much love.